What's up? It's Andrea. Today, we don't know who to believe. We see the Romulan equivalent of Tums, and we ask the question, how heartbreaking is this episode? Stay with us. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host, Sharice. Hey, I'm your co-host, Andrea. Sharice, today we're talking Season 3, Episode 10, entitled The Defector. This episode, which is fantastic, Mm -hmm. was written by Ronald D. Moore and directed by Robert Shearer. And I'm just going to go headlong right into synopsis, if that's cool with you. It is Stardate 43462.5. The Enterprise is notified that a Romulan scout vessel is pursued in the neutral zone by a Romulan warbird. The Enterprise moves to intercept the ship, and the occupant of the ship is brought aboard the Enterprise. He claims to be Sub-Lieutenant Seatall, a logistics clerk, seeking to defect to the Federation after coming across some information about a secret Romulan installation on the planet Nelvana 3 within the neutral zone that could sustain a large Romulan fleet. This bum, bum, bum. Yes, this whole episode starts off feeling very bum, bum, bum. Um, <laughs> and like it kind of stays that way, like all the way until the end. Like this mm-hmm. episode is one big bum, bum, bum. That's and true, I loved because it. even at the end, you're like, what? Bum, bum, bum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it yeah. does happen all the way through. You know, my, my big like overall thought, like after I finished this episode, I was like, you know what? I did not remember this episode at all. While I was mm-hmm. watching it, I was like, oh, this is the episode when that, nope, nope, that's not that episode. Oh, this is the episode, but nope, it's not that episode either. And I was like, you know what? Season three has just been like this. We're already at mm-hmm. episode 10 and like almost every single episode I've said, I don't remember this at all. How do I mm-hmm. not remember this? And it feels like this is a whole new show I've never seen, but I'm in love with. Like what yes. an enjoyable experience to go through this level of detail back through season three, because these episodes have been genuinely good and it just feels like I'm getting new Trek. What about you? How did you yes. feel about this episode? I feel exactly the same way as you were. I'm like, okay, Romulan. Uh, okay. And I do remember when I saw the little thumbnail on my Netflix queue where I was like, okay, oh, it's this one. I remembered the very ending being really tragic, mm-hmm. but I didn't remember anything leading up to that. And mm-hmm. so it totally felt like, yeah, I'm getting new track like 30 years after it came out. Like it just feels like new mm-hmm. and it feels great. And like, I think that, you know what we're in, this is my analogy and maybe this is my analogy because I spent all of last week fighting bronchitis and it was horrible. But mm-hmm. like when you're in bed and you're really cozy and you're covered by like 20 blankets, it just feels so good and so comfortable. Mm-hmm. And you don't remember each individual blanket that you've like piled on mm-hmm. or in, but like, it's just, it feels so good. Like this is, this is that kind of trek that just feels so real and so good. Mm-hmm. And the things that have really stood out to us in our mind. And I think that this is for any TV show that anybody loves is you remember the really great episodes. And then Mm -hmm. you also really remember for different reasons, the really horrible ones. (laughs) So the ones in the middle, that's like, it's just, you're like in a pile of blankets, but like, Mm -hmm. you can't tell where one ends and the other begins. So I feel like that's, (laughs) it's like, it's a good problem. That is the perfect analogy. This show is so cozy for our souls. And speaking of cozy, this opening scene in the holodeck with Shakespeare. This is where we see yet again, Picard's love of Shakespeare. I think we did see it before because he quoted something, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. here's where we see data trying to figure out humanity through Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who don't know, Sir Patrick Stewart is a Shakespearean trained actor. And so he loves Shakespeare and everything about Shakespeare, apparently. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's referenced quite a bit and it's like a really special thing. And so for Data to be trying to understand humanity through Shakespeare also becomes a very special thing throughout the show. And this is the first time where we see him kind of acting it out. And we see Picard in this like makeup that is he's a he's a holodeck character and he's got this this different accent and. I mean, I just had my, you know, my hands under my chin, pulled up my popcorn, like, yes, (laughs) all about it. It totally felt like this wildly out of place cold open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we do see Data is again, exploring that humanity, like you said. And I thought it was really neat that like, in addition to his regular role as Picard, Patrick Stewart did play the role of the holodeck character of Michael Williams. And the play was um, Shakespeare's Henry V. And they were acting out um, act four, scene one um, in this like cold open. And Stuart specifically requested this out of love for Shakespeare. He's, he's still a member of the Royal Shakespeare Company, um, or he still was 
when they film this. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure he is today. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. Why would he not be? Mm -hmm. So Stuart uses like a different regional dialect to like differentiate between Michael Williams and like Captain Picard and prosthetics and makeup and Mm -hmm. costume and hair and all that. It was just, it looked really, really cool. Um, I found a little deeper dive into this where this was sort of done as an homage to the play um, Henry V, I believe, which had just come out like a year earlier. It came out in 1989. And Hmm. this episode was the first episode in the 1990s. So now we are officially in 1990 when this came out. This was the first of the 90s. Um, Party like it's 1990. Wait, that's not how the song goes. (laughs) Okay. We'll revisit that. No, dorky. <laughs> we'll re- we'll we can't even party that. like it's 1999 because there is no TNG during the time. Oh, <laughs> no, God. No. Thanks a lot, Cherise. Thanks a lot. <laughs> 29.99? I don't know. Right? <laughs> so that 1989 film version was written and directed by, or well, it was directed by and, and starred Kenneth Branagh, who was a, a, a really big Shakespearean actor. And I don't know if you noticed, but Data, when they froze the program, And Captain Picard was like, you're really coming along. And he's like, well, I'm trying to emulate all these different Shakespearean actors. And he named Brana as like one of those people. So Mm. I was like, that is such a cool homage, like a Mm. little like inside out twist into like Picard gets to like play. This is really play for this is my Patrick Stewart really gets to play. I Mm -hmm. thought that was so they both got to play, which was cool because Mm -hmm. aside from Picard being the captain, he's also like Data's mentor and understanding humanity through the beauty of Okay, of Shakespeare. And we saw in a previous episode, he was helping Data through music when Data was playing music and he was kind of guiding him and mentoring him and saying, this is, you are an artist. This is what an artist is. It's someone who creates. And we constantly see this really beautiful, subtle mentorship between Picard and Data, where he's just saying, explore humanity through the arts. And how cool is that? Yes. Yes. Well, I thought that this was just lovely to get them to see this like enduring spirit, like Shakespeare was 15 something. So it's mm-hmm. like five, 600 years from where we are today. It's another like hundred, couple hundreds years, you know, until like where Picard and Data are then. So like, this is such an enduring spirit. And I love that like this, this language and these plays like have endured. And it actually brought to mind something else that I felt is a really enduring spirit in T, uh, TNG, specifically with Captain Picard, but it's the classical music. I love that, like, we haven't seen it a lot yet, but later in the series, Picard often has his classical music playing in his quarters when he's reading or or Data, you know, is like diving into his classical music mm-hmm. roots. And there's that one really hilarious scene where he's listening to like 12 symphonies all on top of each other. <laughs> and like, he can differentiate them, but like nobody else can. So it's just like cacophony. <laughs> but I th- I think that like, we really only listen to music from like 20 to 40 years ago. And even then with a nostalgic ear. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a child of like the 90s. So I really I've been totally listening to like late 90s music all summer just because it's like mm-hmm. nostalgic. But like when Picard listens to Mozart and Beethoven, Brahms, Vivaldi and all those, those are from like 600 years in their past. And the fact mm-hmm. that there are even classical music stations today that play music from like 250 years ago shows just like how universal this appeal is of classical music. And I, I just thought it was like so foundational, just like Shakespeare and mm-hmm. his works that like transcend time. I just thought it was so cool. And yeah. that's everything from like the first one minute. <laughs> yes. That's like the first 30 seconds of the episode. <laughs> but it, and and I hope you guys appreciate our geek spiral because it gets better. This episode, yep. oh, okay. All right. So we've got this situation going on. And then mm-hmm. suddenly we've got this like, you know, red alert. Something's going on. There's a Romulan yep. ship requesting asylum. Like, we got to get out of here. We got to go to the bridge. And as they're walking, Data's asking Picard. Like, what was that about? I, I don't get this. Why was the king trying to even talk to the people? Like, I don't understand. And Picard kind of explains to him, well, when you're a leader, it's hard for you to mix and be one of the people. So he had to mm-hmm. put on a costume so he could find out what his troops, how they really felt, what mm-hmm. they were experiencing in that moment to see what his leadership was like. Was it effective? Was it not? And so Data's like, I understand. Okay, sometimes you have to kind of hide your identity so that you can find a deeper truth. And that mm. is this whole episode. Yes. <laughs> that and like and like the the pains and burdens of leadership and why when you're a leader you have to make hard decisions. And that's what Picard had to do and that's what this um Romulan 
defector mm-hmm. also had to do. And I thought mm-hmm. that was such a beautiful and again, subtle tie-in beautifully written because it wasn't this hand, this hand fisted, like plots, like that don't connect mm-hmm. to each other. Right. Like the yes. Antikins and the Sele who were like, what uh, did that have to they do will this? forever be the anachronistic yes. subplot that <laughs> made no sense. They are the example of just nonsense, right? Like that yeah. we have this space monster electricity beam, but then we also have these people playing <laughs> laser tag and the corridors and you're like, what is going on? But cooking each other in soups. <laughs> yeah. And here, this is just everything ties together in a really subtle and really beautiful way. So well done to the writers. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Ronald D. Moore et al. Beautiful job tying in and foreshadowing with Shakespeare as to like shades that we would see later in in this episode. I thought it was wonderful. And here's where like things really start getting very bump, 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 because the Romulan ship requires urgent assistance. He's seeking asylum. To me, it felt very reminiscent of that video footage that came out a couple of years ago of that North Korean soldier defecting Mm -hmm. and fleeing to the south. Mm-hmm. Um, and like he was being pursued and shot at and he was like crawling under like fences and and like through the like DMZ. It was just mm-hmm. really tense and really crazy. And it turns out, as far as I understood, he actually made it and was recovered in South Korea and had a lot of injuries, but like recovered. So I was like, oh good. Like he got out, like this poor man was escaping. And that's what this felt like to me, where I was like, mm-hmm. this is it was written as kind of a light like Cuban Missile Crisis in space Mm -hmm, where mm -hmm. it's like someone is fleeing with this information and like we have these very few minutes tense minutes pass where the Romulan warbird like recloaks and heads back into Romulan territory and you're like oh Jesus Christ like what drama are we stumbling into as the Enterprise is just like you know Mm -hmm. the cards in the holodeck like clearly it's downtime and all of a sudden this drama unfolds right before them that was so cool. This is the dangers of living in deep space. And this is why kids yep. shouldn't be on this ship. But, yep. <laughs> um, but that's a conversation for another day. Yes. Yeah, so he's running. And so part of me was like, because I didn't totally remember this episode. Part of me was thinking, oh, gosh, I hope he gets away. But then a bigger part of me was thinking the Romulans just are not trustworthy. They are shady AF. And this mm-hmm. feels like a setup. And they're pretend this guy's pretending like he needs asylum, but secretly he's got some kind of bomb on his ship and he's going to blow it up as soon as it goes into yeah. their cargo bay or something like yes. that. So I was very like a lot like the crew, right? The crew was like, I don't know. Let's assess the situation. How fast are they going? What's going on? And they were like, mm-hmm. we're not going to intervene unless they cross into they cross the neutral zone and come into Federation space. Mm-hmm. Then we'll intervene just because they're in our space. And that's exactly what happened. They they waited until the ship crossed over and then they were like, hey. Romulan Warbird, like we, this is Federation space, get out of our space. Mm-hmm. And it was like, and they just turned around and I was like, that was too easy. They turned around way too easily. Yeah. Enterprise should be very concerned about this. Just everything was big, big, big red flags and question marks for me. Yes. It felt very Star Wars, a new hope where the Millennium Falcon is fleeing from the Death Star and like four TIE fighters come after them and then they shoot them out of the sky in like five minutes and then that's it. And Han was like, that was a little too easy. <laughs> and everybody else was like, you call that easy? But it was. And mm-hmm. that's exactly what this was. We were like, you've got this warbird that's in pursuit of a fucking shuttlecraft, which mm-hmm. can't go more than like impulse power or whatever mm-hmm. the Romulan version of impulse power is. Mm-hmm. And yet it's not like everything smells very fishy here. Mm-hmm. So they bring this man aboard who's got some pretty bad laser burns and whatnot on him. And he says that he is sub commander Sital and he wants to speak to the captain immediately. And he's basically telling the captain and like the other senior officers in the observation lounge that there's this secret base on Nelvana three that like breaks the treaty of, I don't remember the name of it, (laughs) but like (laughs) Algeron. Yes. Thank you. I was like, Algernon is the story of the rat. Never mind. That's Algeron. Yes. So, (laughs) so this is something that really bothered me. He's filling his guts to Picard and Picard. I know he has to like play his cards close to his vest. We just still don't know if this guy's a spy or really a defector, Mm -hmm. but he's like, well, you must be tired by your ordeal. So we're going to set up quarters for you. And I really hate this. I Mm -hmm. hate this. Mm -hmm. And here's why. Who hasn't told someone some very inf- like important information or news and you'd be met with like, 
well, you must be tired or some other like equivalent, like sort of like a, a disregard. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think Picard should have known them, like shown the man at least respect to make him feel heard because whether he decides to take that information and do anything with it or not, you want this man to feel like he's been heard. Otherwise, like he's already shown like he's desperate. What else could he do? Um, I feel like a little acknowledgement of this would not be amiss. And I feel like Picard should have known that. That kind of bugged me. I wonder if it was because the Romulans are very untrustworthy that he just thought it was a trap and wasn't going to be quick mm. to say, yes, let's run there right now. Ambush. You know, like, I feel like that's kind of yeah. <laughs> what he was, what he was trying to avoid that situation of running, running into a trap. And he needed to talk to a senior staff about first he needed to get the man's statement and then he needed to talk to the senior staff. Do we believe him? Do we not? Let's yeah. look at the facts. So they did kind of need to hear what he had to say and then put him somewhere for a bit. But I agree. He could have done that in a way that wasn't as dismissive in a way that was like, we under, like he could have just told him that I hear what you're saying. I understand. I'm going to take this to my crew. We'll discuss it in the meantime. Here's your quarters. You can go there and rest until we're ready for you. And we'll call you back. Yeah. Like that would have been respectful without being weak and without being buddy, buddy. See, Tal has really put himself in a very dangerous situation and endured injury to be met with like, well, you, you sound tired. So we'll just mm-hmm. get you scored. It's like, wait, no, but I'm trying to tell you, you know, but then again, he could have been lying this whole time in which case True. he would not have gotten our sympathy. We wouldn't be looking back and being True. like, somebody listen to say tall, you know, yeah. but now that we know that he was actually telling the truth. Now it's like, Ooh, <laughs> I, yeah. wish that I wish that would have been a little nicer to him now, yeah. but we didn't know that at the, <laughs> but at the time we didn't know. On right? balance. So I was, yeah, very, on balance. I was giving him the side eye while I, while he was like, listen to me, you have to go now. I was giving him the side. eye, like, nah, don't go now. Analyze See? what he's saying first. I mean, acknowledge him. Sure. Like, I agree with you on that, Andrea, but like, don't run into, don't run into danger. Yes. Do some analysis, do some scouting, send some probes, get some data. Don't just run over there because I don't trust him and we need to validate what he's saying. Yes. Yes, I agree with you on that. Um, and before we even get to like full analysis, Picard sends Sital to sickbay to get treated for his burns. And the captain is discussing like the veracity of Sital's informa- and information and like what, you know, what do you think we should do about this? And some members of the crew, as you said, are like, we need to do a deeper investigation. Some of them are like, he's lying, he's a spy, whatever. And we see the little scout ship that's Sital's shuttlecraft within view of the observation lounge. And suddenly it explodes and thank God it exploded then because Picard was going to send an away team to like go poke around in the scout ship and kind of see what they could find. So Mm -hmm. thank God nobody went over, but this thing just blew up. And I was like, what? Like I did not expect that at all. (laughs) I didn't either. It totally shocked me because the way they set up this scene was so genius. They were like, Riker's like, Hey, look, his shuttle's over there. We can learn a lot about Romulan technology by going over to his shuttle. And maybe we could find out if he's telling the truth. And mm-hmm. Picard's like, good idea. Get an away team and go over to boom. And you're like, oh my gosh, like that was so shocking. I didn't see it coming. But then in the very next scene, now they're talking to Sital again. Suddenly he's relevant again. And they're pissed at yeah. him. <laughs> How dare you blow that up inside of our shields and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I set the self-destruct the second I got off the ship or like right before I left the ship because I know how you guys are. And I know that you were just looking at my technology, waiting to get your hands on it. And that's exactly what they were doing. They couldn't even say anything. That's exactly, Mm -hmm. they were minutes away from doing the exact thing he thought they would do. And he said, I, I am only here because I want to prevent a war. I am not a traitor and I do not want to give away my secrets. And like, I really respect him for that because he's yes, I'm defecting because I want to save lives. Not because I like you and not because I trust you. Yes. Yes. And I actually had a lot of respect for that as you were giving him side eye and God knows we have not had any reason to trust the Romulans at all. Um, But this was the first Romulan and perhaps the only that I actually trusted from the get go. Like it didn't seem like a ruse to me. I don't know. There was something about him and, and and I have, eh, I do have like one or two thoughts, but there was something about him just right from the get go where I was like, this man is, in critical danger and needs help. And he is risking his life to get this information to you. And I never even considered, I never considered that it could be a setup for him to be a spy. And that whole warbird situation could have been like staged for the enterprise's benefit. But I will say this when Sitala's in sickbay, 
Worf and Sitala are having this exchange, and you know Romulans and Klingons have a very, very like antagonistic mm-hmm. past. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of swearing at each other. And, but this was the thing that really struck me as different about Sital. Romulans are very polished. They are very secretive, and dare I say, even a little snobby. They mm-hmm. look down their noses on humans. Mm-hmm. And Sital had none of that. He had this like resigned steeliness in him that was like, you know, and we see it later on in the episode. But he still did curse at Worf. <laughs> just to well, get a, just did, to push his buttons. He, for fun, he right? did. He did because they, yeah, because they just, they'll, Romulans and Klingons will never see eye to eye as far as I'm aware or feel. Um, although I haven't seen a ton of like future Star Trek. So like they, they might strike up a, a piece at some point, but they are sworn enemies. So it's like putting a cat and a bird or a cat and a dog in the same room. And they're just going to like hiss at each other. But even, even Sital, when Worf storms out in a huff, Sital mm-hmm. is like, I like him. I understand him. Like he's a warrior. And I was like, yeah, there's just something about Sital that I trusted. Like I believed him because it seemed to me that like, he really believed what he was there to do. He didn't, I feel like if you're going to be a spy, there's a lot of different ways to do it. And Mm -hmm. being desperate is not one of them. The most effective. You know, that's a really good point. And I may be a little bit biased. There's an episode of Voyager in season one where the Kazon do something very similar. This There's a shuttle that's been destroyed. And it's like there's one Kazon left living, but he's barely living. He's hanging on by a thread, like a tiny little thread when the, when Voyager finds that finds him. And so they take him on board and the Kazon have been trying to get Voyager and steal their technology like forever. And they think like, okay, we don't, you know, what's this guy about? Like, is he, is he for real? Or is he some kind of spy? And they're like, he almost died. If we would have been five minutes later, he would have been dead. It's really hard for us to believe that this is all staged. Um, so they trusted him. They, they, you know, healed his wounds and put him into a, his quarters. And then he immediately blew himself up and blew up the sh- oh, wow. a big part of the ship. And then the ship was taken over by the Kazon and they like displaced all the crew, dropped them off on a planet and stole the ship. And so I think part of that, me having that in the back of my mind was kind of coloring this episode mm. where I was like, okay, it's going to happen. Like you trust him. You think there's no way he could be behind this. He seems the most innocent thing in the world. And really he's got some big plans. And then when he pulled out that little pill or whatever, I was like, yep, that's exactly what the Kazon did. He pulled something out and then blew himself up. And I was like, that's, he's going to do it. And he did it. Okay. I so want to talk about that, that moment, because I feel like this entire podcast episode is just going to be a series of bump, bump, bums that get louder and louder and longer and bigger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as Riker shows Seatol to his quarters, I think there was a little cool aside, a little bit of world building. Seatol orders water from the replicator at 12 Ankians. This is the first indication of like Romulan temperature scale. I thought that was mm-hmm. kind of cool, mm-hmm. you know? And of course the computer was like, yeah, we only do Fahrenheit or Celsius. So, and he's like, I don't know, cold, whatever. And then he takes his water, sits down on the bed and he pulls out something from his boot. And I wrote a spy Tums. And then I thought <laughs> being a spy would be stressful for me too. I would definitely need an antacid. <laughs> like that's what I thought. But when I saw that thing, you don't know if it's a pill, if it's poison, if it's a weapon, if it's a, it's a button, transmitter. If it's a, you don't know what the heck exactly. it is. Exactly. So Sharice, I'm going to hit us with level two bump, bump, bump. There it is. I feel like that's what we needed <laughs> for this for this little part right here. Because I was like, is it a button, a transmitter? So wait, are we, so wait, are we going to do the bum 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 sounds louder and louder throughout the episode? Yep. It's really going to get yep. louder. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That is y'all so might want to turn down your volume at some point. I'm probably just now, probably now, because the bum bums are going to get bigger. They so, just are. <laughs> so before the ship explodes. We got this really good view of it from space of the scout ship. And I was like, oh my gosh, that looks amazing. Whoever made that, I just can't even deal. These are such Mm -hmm. beautiful ships that somebody is coming up with in their mind and then creating so we can see it. And this was just so beautiful. Like, oh, and the cloaking, I never, ever, ever get tired of it. Never. Never. Also that little sound effect. Yes. When they decloak and recloak, it's like, ah, there's, you could have your eyes closed 
be at the grocery store, which why would you have your eyes closed at the grocery store? But whatever, you could be somewhere totally not thinking about Star Trek and hear that sound and be like, fucking Romulans are coming. Everybody get down. Can we find a way to like have that sound portable so we could just be in the grocery store and be like, Romulans uh, are coming. Um, get down, everybody. Okay, well, when we run the zombie apocalypse simulation that I'm one day going to put together, <laughs> that's going to be a sound effect. I'm just saying. Oh gosh, I will not be participating in that simulation. That being said, um, so later on we see Picard um, kind of like, so he sent a message back to Starfleet and there was a delay, which I was kind of like, uh, really? I feel like this is the first time yeah. we've done this whole delayed message situation. Usually their messages are pretty instant. Yes. Real time. So I was yes. like, now suddenly there's a distance thing, but I guess the neutral zone is so far away. Yes. Headquarters. He asked for the delay time and it was like two and a half hours previously that message had been sent and that's how long it took to reach the enterprise. So I guess that you're right. I think it was used to highlight like just how far and remote the enterprise was from the rest of like Federation space. Mm -hmm. Maybe. So we see see Picard listening to this message where basically the Starfleet Admiral, I think he only talks to admirals, right? Is like, um, Hey, Picard, there's no other Federation ships anywhere near you. It's going to take them X amount of time before they can get there. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, this is going to be your call. I'm not going to lie to you. It's your call. Go if you think you should go and your backup will be there when it can, but it's not going to be there in time if this is a real legitimate threat. So you do what yeah. you think is best. Bye. And I was just like, that sucks. <laughs> also, what was really the point of that? Picard fucking knows it's his call and not his call. Like he, I don't need a two and a half hour old subspace communication just to tell, tell him me. something he already knows. Yeah. He, needs he already knows and does every day. For you to give him approval. Like that's what it should. You were supposed to make a call and then say, hey, Picard, no one's in the area. It's going to take X amount of hours. You're the closest. Go ahead and check it out. That's what he wanted to hear. Yeah. Because now if he starts a whole war that lasts for another hundred years, it's going to be on Picard. It's not Mm going to be on Starfleet. They're going to be like that one rogue ship that started a war, you know? And it's also very easy to like disavow any knowledge or to be like, his actions do not reflect like mm-hmm. the principles of Starfleet or whatever. So it's really easy. Or we never easy told to scapegoat him to do him. that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So we have this critical junction that we've reached where yes, right after this Picard does get that subspace, which by the way, I have a little tea alert as he's reviewing the Starfleet communication, Picard is drinking Earl Grey from his teeny tiny little Boda mug again. Yes, I was like, I saw oh, that. there you are. I totally it saw only that. holds, only holds two sips, but they're two really good sips. Um, but here's the critical junction. Really? We really aren't sure yet, especially after seeing him pull the little tums out of his boot. Is he a defector or is he a spy? And then Data, of course, we love Data and Jordy because they show us all the like stuff that we, all the schematics that we need, right? Mm-hmm. To like understand what's happening on the show. And he shows the team a schematic depicting the chase of the scout ship. And each time the scout ship slowed down, the warbirds slowed down and matched like the speed and trajectory of the shuttlecraft. Mm-hmm. And it could have overtaken it easily, but it didn't. And Picard then says to Beverly, who is also standing there for some unknown reason, um, which, I mean, I love her there, but it's like, girl, mm-hmm. you, your office like is O'Brien. like six decks away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like O'Brien being there where you're like, buddy, uh, shouldn't somebody Why get are the you, transporter? Why? Uh. Yeah. <laughs> but, but Picard does say like, is it possible that those phaser disruptor burns could have been self-inflicted and Beverly's like, I don't know. There were really bad burns. Um, but she really does admit at the end, like, I guess he could have done it to himself. So mm-hmm. that really seems like plausible now that like what looked to me like a straightforward defection, things are starting to seem a little bit too perfect. And I'm like, uh Oh, the, the warbird thing is enough to be like, Hmm, it could, it's, it's shooting at you. It's shooting at the Enterprise. It's it's putting on this good show. But every time the shuttlecraft slows down, the warbird also slows down too and like never overtakes. It's like, mm, things are not seeming quite right. It's seeming very fishy. And something that we kind of skipped a little bit that I want to come back to and then keep going forward is that <laughs> after Picard gets this message to like, hey, it's your call. You, you do what you think is best and we're going to cover our butts back here. Um, he calls in data and he says, data, I want you to keep a record of everything that happens from this moment Mm -hmm. forward. I want Mm -hmm. you to keep a record. And he said he wanted somebody with a dispassionate and objective view of history. Mm -hmm. And then he said, how different would history look if record keepers, if we had record keepers on both sides, just like, like 
I don't know if he said this or if I said this to myself, but I wrote this in my notes. Like how different would history look if we had like data on both sides of a conflict Mm -hmm. recording objectively just the facts? It would look very different. It'd be hard to pick a side. Whereas currently the winners write history. But if just, you know, objective observers recorded both sides of a conflict, you would just be like, wow, I see how both sides have a really good point. Right. Mm -hmm. It would be very different. So anyways, I love that he did that to kind of like cover his butt and also. Yes. Assuming data somehow survived if there was a war or was able to download his memories or something like I don't know how that would actually if there was a war, I feel like the enterprise would be destroyed very quickly. But somehow if data escaped, we would know how this conflict really started. It wouldn't be up. It wouldn't be as easy to disavow. So anyways, I just appreciate that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, that actually did happen just after the subspace communication came in. So no, that's like perfectly like linearly, like right in time with like what, what was oh, happening. Perfect. And I, and, and I think that that was a nice callback too to the Shakespearean play mm-hmm. that we saw at the beginning because he references the King Henry, uh, Henry the fifth and says that unlike the protagonist of the play, he can't disguise himself and walk among his crew to really get a feel for like how they're feeling. You know, the captain can ask you how you're feeling and you want to give the like good little soldier answer. Yes, yeah. You don't want to be like, I feel like this might be a mistake. Something sounds fishy. I'm terrified. Or, like, I want to get out yes. of here. I want to go home. Yes. Yes. And I think you're absolutely right. Like history would look so different. Um, because you're right, history is always and always has been written by the winners. That's what and, the winners get as their prize. They get the yes. they get the ability to write how the story went. Yes. And that is even referenced a little bit later in this episode where Setal is telling, you know, the captain that he was in charge of this like massacre, but he's like, oh, but it wasn't called the massacre on my homeland. It was called the such and such maneuver or like such and such victory campaign. Thank you. So it's like, what, what's a massacre to one side is a campaign to the other. And that's like, totally. I love, I love that. Like we have just that little snippet that seems a little anachronistic in in the episode, but it is, I think, important for data to like document everything that's happening objectively. Yeah. And Um, so after Jordy and data discover that like, Hey, look, there's something fishy going on. They go back to see tall and they're like, what the F man? (laughs) <laughs> like come yeah. clean we see this is going on you're a spy and he's like i'm not a spy and they're like you are a spy i'm not a spy and irrelevant they- irrelevant <laughs> yeah he's screaming at Riker and troy it quickly becomes apparent that he's got to come clean like mm-hmm. because because even though what he's saying he believes is true he's also mixing it with lies and so no yes. one can pick out what's true and what's a lie and looking yes. at the footage it looks like it's all a lie so he's finally mm-hmm. like all right okay Take me to the captain. I'm going to say who I really am. Just before that, Data and Sital are talking in yes. 10 forward. Okay, yes. Let's and, talk about that. And I do love that Data, because he's an android, he's cold, he doesn't take personal feelings or like vendettas or like grudges. He is universally kind of this character that the stranger on the ship will be fine talking to Mm -hmm. because it's kind of like talking to a nice wall that answers back. Mm -hmm. Right. And like might ask some questions and like is engaged in the conversation with you, but it's, you can't talk to Worf as a Romulan. He's going to be spitting all over you and you Mm -hmm. all over him. And it's like, and I, and I thought there was this beautiful bit of poetic writing. Again, the writers did a beautiful job where Cetal comes in to 10 forward and looks out the window and says, I thought I would find some comfort, but these are not my stars. Even mm-hmm. the heavens are denied me here. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, just such deep loss. And he says, it's a bitter thing to be exiled from your home. And I love that Data was like, well, we have the technology to replicate that. And he takes him to the holodeck. Um And he's like, oh, it's the towers of so-and-so. Like, I know them well. But Mm -hmm. like mere seconds later, he's like, I know this isn't real. And that's when the final veil drops. And I remember Troy in in her interrogation with Riker had said, like, you are telling us the truth, but there is something else you're not telling us. And finally, that veil drops. And Sital says, I want to meet the captain. Tell him Admiral Jarok wants to see him. It's like, again, volume three. Yes. And like, thank you to data, right? Data is the one who really cracked that nut just by being curious and impartial. He wasn't giving him the side eye. He wasn't scared of him. He wasn't mad Mm -hmm. at him. He wasn't distrustful of him. He was curious and he was staring at 
at, at the time, Seatall was staring at, he was staring at him while he was drinking and he was just like, what's your problem? And he was like, nothing, just observing you. <laughs> like, just, mm-hmm. like, so like a kid, right? Kids just stare and they're super rude like that. And they don't know it's rude <laughs> until their parents go stop staring. It's rude, you know? And I, you know, this is definitely a victory for data to really have this veil drop so that they can have an honest conversation. And mm-hmm. so that's when Admiral Zhirdok starts saying, when they say you're the butcher, you you've done this, you've done that. And he was just like, one world's butcher is another world's hero. You know, mm-hmm. he's just like that. That's not how we see it in our world. We don't see, no one sees me as a butcher. I was an upstanding member of society and all this stuff. And he was like, yeah. but I've given all that up because I want to prevent a war. And mm-hmm. this is why you have to listen to me. So basically he's a war criminal is what it sounds like is why he didn't want to say his real identity. But he knew the second he started yeah. running, he knew the second he saw the enterprise, he was never going to be able to go back. Yes. Regardless. He knew it. He knew it. He he was exiled forever and he would never, ever get back to Romulus. And he did all this. He said the moment he saw the face of his baby girl, he had to save Romulus for her and to save it for all children. And I just thought, oh, my God, that is such deep sacrifice. And in Jirok's defense, it seemed like in his mind, he didn't have a choice. Like he mm-hmm. just had to do it. There wasn't like a big debate about it. It's like, this just has to be done because there's going to be war and we could lose everything that we have. And mm-hmm. yes, I think Jirok, you could say he's a war criminal, but I think any general or any leader who's participated in a war is a war criminal yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> because the, the laws and rules that we hold in place about not killing and harming others fall completely to, way the, to the wayside once there's war. So yes, 100%. He's, you know, mm-hmm. Julius Caesar was this amazing conqueror for the Roman people, but to the Gauls, he was a war criminal. Absolutely. 100%. So that's, that's exactly and, it. And yeah. that's history as well is that yeah. if he would have stayed on his side, he would have stayed a hero. But if he yeah. crosses the neutral zone, he's a war criminal, which is why he yeah. took this false identity to try to make sure that to try to make people think he didn't know as much as he did. But I mean, no one fell for that. Worf was like, you know, a lot for some low level Lieutenant. And he's just like, well, I just listen a lot, you know, like he, yeah. he that, eh. that wasn't going to last for long. He couldn't pretend to be less knowledgeable than he was. And he, but he wasn't, he really wasn't a traitor, which Picard was kind of like, you are a traitor. You're a traitor. You are a traitor. This is what it means to be a defector. And he was like, I don't want to betray my people. That's not what I want. I want to prevent war. That's what I want. And I thought yes. that was a really interesting way to look at defection, mm-hmm. that it's a much more complex issue than I hate my people and I want to escape yes. them. He's like, yes. I love my people and I don't want to escape them, but I don't want them to all be destroyed in a war yes. that's preventable. And it was just like, wow, I never thought of that. I think that's the difference between a traitor and having incredible courage to say something that matters to you to do the right thing. And to do the right thing is often really hard to do. And I think that Jirok was trying to do the right thing. Um, I, I think, I think he did the only thing he could, which was mm-hmm. try to reach out to the Federation and be like, look, 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 something fishy is going on. I am not giving you my technology, which is why I'm going to auto-destruct the mm-hmm. scout ship. Mm-hmm. You know, I, that's not what I'm here for, but I am here to try to prevent this war. And while all this is going on, Data is asked by Picard to send a probe out. And the probe uh, does circle around Nelvana 3 and does come back with something that's like a little out of place. But like the probe isn't strong enough to detect anything specific. So they're like, there's some ionizing radiation. It's just enough to know something fishy is going on, but not enough yes. to be definitive without the Enterprise physically going there to check yes. itself. Which they next end up doing where they're like, we just have to go out there and take a look. So they go way deep into the neutral zone into Mm -hmm. uh, orbit around Nelvana three. And as they arrive, things are just too quiet. And I love that Riker is like, I would have preferred a battle to this. Like just the, just the like silence and waiting is a little unnerving restful. Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. Um, And then when they get to the planet, ah, Sharice, oh my God, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. And Riker's like, oh, but maybe, you know, the whole base could be cloaked. But Data's like, no, there would be distortions on the surface. We'd be able to pick that up. And so they bring Jirok onto the bridge to be like, explain yourself, sir. What the fuck? Oh, yeah. Or that. (laughs) All the way. (laughs) They said it your way, but they meant it my way, right? (laughs) And and, and also, there is nothing there. That's an even bigger... (laughs) 
Picard has risked his crew, himself, the ship, to go deep into war. Yes. All of that. All of it. And he's like, and he's pissed. And I love a pissed Picard. He is just so powerful. (laughs) You like a Picard who's like really upset. I like a Picard who's losing his mind. We love the different versions mm, of Picard that we mm-hmm. get to enjoy on this show. Yes. And this is, the, yeah. this is the Huffy Picard right here. This is, I like the Huffy Picard because he, he is pulling the shirt down and he means business. Mm-hmm. And Jirok has a lot of explaining to do because he has begged the Enterprise to go into the neutral territory or neutral zone and risk war and risk their lives. And there is nothing, literally nothing to show for. And, and, at this Go moment, ahead. this is when I finally believe him. Like, I believed him when he was mm. talking to Data, actually, because I could just see him, like, kind of melt and be like, all right, all right, all right, I'll tell you. So I actually believed him then. But at this moment, this is when, like, any little bit of, like, I still didn't remember what that pill was, but I was like, that is not some secret communicator. He's not some kind of spy for sure. In this moment yeah. when he goes, but that can't be. That this just can't be. I saw the communications. I saw the the blueprints. Mm-hmm, I saw the mm-hmm. recordings. I saw the messages. And I've been seeing them for months. Like I knew they were planning something. They were going to do it in the next like 24 hours or whatever it was, like seven hours. Mm-hmm. They're going to do it right now. He's like, this can't be. Something's wrong. Send another probe. Can't like the panic and the shock and yes. the confusion and the fear and everything that was coming through from Jirak was like, he is 100% honest. Like he, he could have lied about, I mean, he lied about who he was, but he didn't lie about anything else. Like this is legit. And he's just as surprised. He's actually way more surprised than you guys because you believed him and now you're pissed, but he believed himself. And he's like for the whole time. Yeah. He's like for months, I've been seeing communications for months. Like this can't be right. And I just felt so bad for him. Oh my God, me too. And Picard reminds him. Yes, he reminds him of his own words. He's been displeased with the Romulan High Command. They fi- he complained and complained. They finally censured him. They they reshuffled him in command and gave him some like distant little outpost to keep him out of the way. And you see the cascade mm-hmm. of like dominoes falling in Jarok's mind. Mm-hmm. And Picard, oh my God, I had tears watching this. He deals the final blow. He said, they let you escape with an arsenal of worthless secrets. What other explanation is there? I was like, oh, this man was like, for nothing, for nothing. I was like, baby girl, his career, nothing, all of it for nothing. And as the enterprise tries to beat a hasty retreat, they are met with not one, but two Romulan warbirds, which is immediately. And it's like, I yelled out ambush. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And you're just like, Oh, beep. Like, oh yeah. no, like they can't even escape. They're like, let's just get out of here before anyone notices we're here since they didn't notice us on the way in, but they decloak mm-hmm. and they're trapped. And I was like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Cause again, I don't totally remember this episode. So I was like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And here we mm-hmm. see Commandant Tomalock or whatever they call themselves. Commander, yes. whatever. I don't know. Commander Tomalock, I think. Yeah. We see, we see Tomalock again. I'm like this mofo. From that stupid Galorndon core. I was like, are you nowhere else? Is this all you do is follow the Enterprise around Tomalock? I think they Ugh. were trying to establish like a regular type of Romulan person that we could see a lot, but kind of like the Ferengi, like yeah. the Ferengi, but we really didn't need that. You could like interchange any Romulans and the episode's still yeah. good. We don't need like a, a yes. bad guy Romulan because the, the show stands alone with regardless of the Romulan behind the ship, but we didn't know mm-hmm. that at the time. So we see Tomalock again and like this man, this mofo, this fool is here again, talking about, <laughs> I see you've entered our space and now it's war and we're going to destroy you and take your ship or whatever. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like, what are they going to do? And you just, you just see Jirok, like you lied to me, you lied. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. It just was like this, oh, this guy's such a jerk. Yeah. We got to add him to our punchable faces. Bingo. Like Tomalock. Oh yeah, we do. We totally do. Cause he's a snide little shit. That's what he is. (laughs) But, (laughs) but there is a very tense standoff and Tomalock demands a surrender of Jirok and the entire enterprise. And he says, I will display the broken pieces of your ship on our home world. And it will like rouse the troops for generations. And I was like, damn. <laughs> so that's what this felt like. Where I was like, the bum, bum, bum just got to like level 15,000 where I was like, how are they going to get out of this? 
I didn't remember how this standoff was resolved. And I was seriously sitting there like biting my nails. Like I can't see any way for them to get out of this. And that's what makes a good episode. Do you remember back in season one when the kids were kidnapped by the planet that couldn't have kids? And I was like, this is a hostage situation I can get behind. Yes. Because it was one of those episodes where you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. And as a viewer, as a viewer of a lot of TV, you can almost always guess how the show's going to end. So in that episode, I was like, there's, I don't see a way. And they found a way and it was so satisfying. The same thing here. I was just like, there's no way they can't run fast enough. They can't outrun two warbirds. Mm-mm. They cannot run one. Like they're evenly matched techno- technologically yes. with just ship to ship. So two ships, you're screwed. Yes. Um, and the warbirds are so much bigger than the Enterprise and so much more heavily armed. That I was like, oh, fuck, you guys are really, really screwed now. And there, And you're right. There are a lot of shows out there where you're like, yeah, they're going to figure it out at some point. Like for me, whenever it comes down to the clock, you know, Jordy is going to last second find a way. Beverly's going to last second find yeah. a cure. But this, I was like, um, rut row. Wesley's going to last second find fix the whole yeah, entire exactly. situation with his science project. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. So I'm sitting there biting my nails along with you. And we're like, okay, what's going to happen? And then Picard just looks over at Worf and is like, Worf? And then he's like, yes. And it's like, what? Are, wait, what are they mm-hmm. talking about? And then he like pushes some button or whatever. And then suddenly four Klingon ships like material, they the birds of prey. Yeah. And I, and I was like, ambush. <laughs> I, was like, oh. I was, I literally cheered out loud and started clapping. I was like, Whoa! oh my God. Whoa! Yeah. Like, because there were no Federation ships close enough to get there in time, but there were a few Klingon ships that were close enough to get there. And that was like, a that was mentioned. It's so in passing. I missed earlier, it. Where somebody, it was in passing. Someone said, I think it was probably Worf, said something like, oh, um, Captain, there's a Klingon ship requesting a, requesting we talk to them or something like that. And he was like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Something like that. It was very much in passing. Wow. So you're just like, okay, whatever. Like, that. I had no thought that the Klingon ships were near and were going to come help. I just thought like, oh, it was just some kind of, you know, they're just like sending a message. Yeah. What? I mean, it, it was so subtle in the episode that it, you, you blink and you yes. miss it. Um, so when that happened, I was like, oh, that's what they were calling about. Oh my gosh. Yes. Like that was just so cool. And you just see the look on Tomalock's face. It's yes. Crazy. And I love how his tone changes too, where he's like, I look forward to the next time we see each other. And then he's like, turn off the screen. Let's get the fuck out of here. Like, <laughs> you know, like his cool demeanor disappeared the second the view screen went off. But I thought this was so unexpected <laughs> for a number of reasons. One Picard had been really going back and forth about like, do I risk all of this to take the Enterprise over to Nalvana 3, great planet name, by the way, to check it out. And it's not unlike Picard to risk everything as a very calculated like measure. So I wasn't expecting him to have that much like backup insurance. And oh Mm -hmm. my God, I was so glad he did because I was like, I do not see how you're getting out of this. And as soon as the ships go away and, you know, Picard's like, Mr. Worf, please send my deep gratitude to the commanders of the Warbirds um, for their assistance in this matter. But Jarok then realizes that his treason was for nothing. Like, he's just an empty, hollowed mm-hmm. shell of a man at this point. And the next thing we see is the captain and commander and Data and Dr. Crusher in Jarok's quarters who ingested what we now know as that Tums was like the equivalent to like Romulan cyanide. And he brought mm-hmm. that with him as a precaution in case it was all for nothing. And this just choked me up. I think he brought it. He brought it with him because he's a soldier yes. and he knew that at some point that was going to be what he needed to yes. do to not give information away to like protect his people. Like that was just a matter of time before he was going to use yes. that. But here he didn't use it to protect anybody. He used it to end his own suffering, which was not what I'm sure he intended yes. to use it for. So yes. just was even more sad. Yeah, it really, it really was. And this just choked me up. He left a letter to his wife and daughter, knowing that like, as things stood, like it never was going to be delivered. And I love that Picard is a little bit hopeful. And he's like, there may one day come enough peace that this letter can find a way home. And I was like, oh my God. Like I was just like applauding. <laughs> And, you know, I just mm-hmm. couldn't get over just how beautiful that sentiment was and how sad, like, it was to write this letter to your wife and your daughter, knowing that they may, very good chance that they will never see 
these words. And I just was like, dear God, like it was just so heartbreaking (sighs) and heavy. That's so true. And maybe like, you know, years and years from now, there is a peace between the Romulans and Federation. They could send the letter and they can exchange prisoners of war on either sides or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like at that point, the daughter may be a mother or grandmother at that point. And she may have lived her entire life thinking her father was a traitor. Yes. Yes. And, you know, he does. And thinking she's the daughter of a traitor. Yes. And he does say, my daughter will grow up thinking, my daughter will grow up thinking that I'm a traitor, but she will grow up. And that is the whole point. And I was like, damn, this man risked everything and lost for this Mm -hmm. greater good. It was just gut-wrenching. It was a really sad ending to a very tense story full of bum-bum-bums. Do you have any final thoughts as we wrap this out? What I really love about this episode is the character development, specifically of the Romulans. We start to see them as multifaceted Mm -hmm. people and they're still pretty ruthless but with this general or admiral or whatever he was with this dude um we get to see that they're not all the same Mm -hmm. and they're not all just like bloodthirsty conniving warmongers or something but their fathers their brothers their husbands their mothers they're you know they're just like normal people driven by normal passions willing to take really courageous risks to do what's right and that's really admirable. So I love that this wasn't a story revealing our main cast and crew mm-hmm. to like figure out more about them, which I usually love, yeah. but it was just as good as if it was one of the main crew because of the layers that were peeled away. So I really, really like this episode. What about you? Um, I really love this episode as well for a lot of those reasons where we get greater development of a race of people who play a pretty key role in TNG throughout the series. Mm -hmm. They're one of the regulars. And um, we got a little teeny tiny bit of trust built when um, Jordy and that Romulan were trapped on the planet's surface. Um, And now like we have yet another reason to like trust this man, even though his own people didn't trust him. So he came with false information, but he didn't know that. Like he really was trying to do the best he could to prevent a war Mm -hmm. and save potentially millions of lives. And I, we always come to expect from TNG um, as a happy, ending? a happy ending up to this point. And it's the first time where you're like, damn, like it's a happy ending in a way where it's like, there really is no threat. So great. There's no war, but like, who cares? Like, it, yeah, it was a happy ending that there was no threat, that there was yeah. no war, that the enterprise wasn't destroyed and put into a museum yes. that the enterprise escaped with their lives. All of that was good. So it was, there was like a greater good, like a global, or I guess like, over yes. several galaxies yep. of good, yeah. but it was sad. The story was not, happy it was ending. not a happy it ending. A sad ending. Yeah. It was a really, really tragic ending. And one that I think you don't need to be some alien to like, understand that. I think anybody could watch us and be like, fuck, like this is really sad. And I just, I, I loved it for it's like impact it's impactability. Um, Mm. I do see a tie-in, too, to next week's episode entitled The Hunted that we're going to be going into, um, which also has kind of a defecting kind of a feel to it. Mm -hmm. So these are like some partnered up Mm -hmm. episodes. And I know that a lot of the episodes were written um, to take place at some point. And then it was like the story editors, I think, that kind of like put them in order. Like, first we'll do this one and then we'll follow with this one. one." But like, I thought this was really thoughtful. We had like the Troy love affair, the Riker, you know, like Mm -hmm. interest. And then now we've got like this Mm -hmm. defector. And then we've got next week is season three, episode 11, The Hunted, which is kind of a defector too. It's like, I thought those are really, really well thought out and like well-placed together. So I look forward to talking about that with you next week. So much, Cherise. And thank you guys so much for hanging out with us. And we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Thanks for geeking out with us. Be sure to join the crew at thetngpodcast.com to be the first to know when we do our live shows or host events exclusively for our members. We'll see you next time.